Hello and Happy New Year. Is it still okay to say that? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite tech and innovation series, Tech Innovation Talks. I'm Paul C. Thwache, tasked with hosting short, sharp, and informative conversations on the most on-point tech topics. In our first episode, we covered business transformation. In our second, we looked at retail trends, highlighting some of the creative ways the industry is changing. And those episodes are still available via all your favorite providers, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple and Google Podcasts. So if you haven't already done so, please do take a look. But this week, it's time to focus on what we do best as we talk innovation, but with a slight twist as we're looking to focus on the growing emergence of food technology. And with just that in mind, we've brought in a couple of heavyweights. First up, I'm excited to welcome Danone's Director of Research and Innovation, Mr. Luke Chavez. Luke has a bunch of experience in leading product development projects in the US, where I believe you currently have the rather delicious sounding title of leading Danone's coffee creaming RI activities. Greetings, Luke. Welcome to our show. Tell me, is your role as glamorous as it sounds? Well, thanks for having me on. And it is about as glamorous as uh, it sounds. I basically get paid to drink coffee all day, which I think would be a lot of people's dreams. Uh, our second guest today is a bit of a home favorite. With over 20 years of experience in coming up with innovative strategies for our clients, please welcome Mr. MJV, Global Innovation Director, Fabricio Stua. Hi, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for, for inviting me over to be part of this first time here. Uh, so hi to you, hi to Luke. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic to have a great conversation today. So let's do it. More importantly, Fabricio, are you a coffee enthusiast yourself? Well, that's the thing. I'm a Brazilian who doesn't drink coffee. Can you believe that? <laughs> but I know there's a lot of things going on around coffee. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, you know, the whole coffee world and the whole thing around it, such as, you know, as you have it with wine, you have it with coffee, and you have it with other things. It's a very fascinating world, so I'm looking forward to what we're going to discuss here today. Perfect. Okay, so let's get things rolling. We have just arrived in 2022, so maybe we can start things off by looking at some of the new innovation trends that will be coming our way this year. Luke, from a food perspective and food tech in general, what should we be looking out for? Are synthetic foods going to be play a bigger role? Where is coffee headed? What smart foods, will smart foods be more prominent? Lots of questions, one man to answer them. Luke, what can you share with us? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And uh, that's a million dollar question, I think you'd say. Uh, there's a few macro trends that I think, you know, I've got my eye on, on my eye on, my team has their eye on. Uh, and a couple of them to call out, you know, the evolution the continued evolution of plant-based uh, and how you can make new plant-based ingredients or manipulate those plant-based ingredients to say mimic their dairy or their meat counterparts. I think you've seen, uh, you know, with the rise of impossible and, and the impossible burger and meat analogs, uh, every other category is looking at how can we, you know, crack against those big boys, you know, the, the dairy giants, the meat giants, um, and really, how can you manipulate plant-based ingredients via technology, um, you know, fermentation science, enzyme modification? There's a lot of, uh, you know, really cool spaces really on the front edge of, of technology that uh, are coming down the pipe. And uh, so, you know, molecular, cellular, uh, making dairy proteins that actually 
um, don't actually have a cow. So they're coming from, say, yeast or some sort of other micro microbiological um, vessel. You know, those are things that we've got our eyes on. And uh, really, you know, how do you scale that up and how do you bring that to the masses in a, um, you know, a way that's uh, profitable and also, you know, doesn't cost the consumer too much? Or those are really the big things that we've got our eyes on for 2022. Well, sounds very exciting. Um, Fabricio, from a more general perspective, what can we look out for? What can we look forward to this year from innovation, from an innovation perspective? Well, uh, I think that's also a very interesting question. When I think about, you know, from a general perspective, uh, I like to have, uh, you know, uh, a macro to micro sort of approach. I think it's important that we, uh, when we're talking about these trends, uh, whatever trends, it's also very important to look at, uh, you know, the bigger picture so that we understand the overall context in which things are happening and the world is evolving. So uh, these macro trends, these drivers of change, as some, some call it, they intersect between them. And they, uh, so they enable for, you know, multiple combinations, multiple scenarios that will play differently. So I think that, for instance, uh, even we have talked exhaustively about this specific topic, but for instance, digital transformation is far from over. So uh, we can see that, for instance, with the with the buzz around and interest around, you know, metaverse or metaverses, né? Uh, uh, or or uh, you know, not to mention the importance of data. So uh, I think the fact is that these changes are are still in motion, and we are in a decade of decade of big transition. So, uh, on the other hand, uh, I think the human being is always a trend, whether we are talking about, you know, Generation Z or about a large chunk of us that is aging or, uh, you know, all the implications that come with this. So, this will bring us, you know, new values, new truths. Finally, there's also the new, the whole climate change things, challenges that we are facing. So, regardless of the trend, these factors will impact the way society works, what do we consume, how do we consume, and in the end, how do we do business? So uh, if we're talking about food tech, which is something that is not my specialty, but I like to read a little bit about, I am very curious about to see how, you know, uh, I've, I've read a lot about, you know, the clean label movement and it's challenging. So how do you source ingredients to clean products? How do you... Uh, key products, main characteristics, and ultimately, how do you communicate this? Or another thing that I think is very interesting is uh, uh, affordable nutrition. So the challenges that come with this are huge for governments, for policymakers and businesses. So, uh, and all of this within this context that I mentioned. So what does that mean? I think that's the, the things we need to keep in mind. Fantastic. Um, Luke, I don't know if you wanted to comment on any of the, the, the topics that Fabrizio brought up there before I move on to my next question. Yeah, of course. I think, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that he touched on that uh, kind of intersect with each other. You know, he talked about the climate change and, uh, you know, and that being a, a very large macro trend. And so how does that kind of affect into the food space? And I think that touches into, you know, some of that plant-based lifestyle and, and the emergence of plant-based and, you know, the reduction on, you know, the land that's needed to, um, you know, for cattle or, or, you know, the resources that need to go into that. And, and then he touched on a really good point of, you know, clean label, 
versus some of these new technologies sort of thing. I always think there's a little bit of a, of a dichotomy and almost a split at this point of, you know, you've got certain products that are using a lot of future food technology uh, to try and, like I say, mimic as much of their dairy or their meat counterparts. Um, but how do you do that can be in a really, you know, technical, maybe the ingredient list likes to get really long at that sort of point. And I think there's a consumer that's really into that. But on the the true plant-based uh, evangelists that have been around since, you know, Silk is one of our brands at Danone. You know, we've been doing plant-based milks and soy milk for decades. I think you've got a whole other sub segment that's kind of swinging the other way. And that's where that super clean label that Fabricio mentioned is also super critical. Uh, and, and there's a big space there. And, and that's where it's a little bit of a different, you know, technology solve of what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep, you know, the the base ingredients themselves, say a, a soybean or a, a pea or a pulse, you know, and what kind of modifications can you do, you know, in that clean label space, how can you do less uh, modification to those base ingredients while still providing a, you know, a user experience that they're going to want to continue to come back to? Those are the big questions that we're trying to unlock every day. And, you know, it's a race to see who can, can do those better. Because uh, that's who's going to win in the marketplace eventually. Fantastic, Luke. Can you kind of take us a little bit into the the, the coffee world now? Um, I'm thinking specifically as you kind of are working in that specific market, as you as you do for coffee house culture businesses. Um, I can imagine that sometimes it can be quite hard to make sure ideas and 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 processes don't lose the kind of the the goal and, and they don't lose out on, on, on making sure that they're profitable and focused. Can you take us kind of into that world and explain how you ensure that your ideas remain practical and, and solutions which are genuinely going to work for your company? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And uh, again, a, a big key piece is, you know, there's a lot of future food tech and, and technology that's being developed right now, but how do you do that scale, at scale, you know, and how do you do it in a profitable manner? Uh, questions that you got to start at the very beginning. And, uh, you know, really what we sit down with from a, you know, a research group, you know, we're going to sit down with our brand marketing counterparts. We're going to sit down with our finance counterparts and say, you know, in looking at the marketplace and, and the competitive landscape and what other products that we have out on the market, you know, what is a reasonable price that we can charge uh, without turning off consumers or, um, you know, or, or premium, putting yourself on a premium tier, which doesn't, you know, fit with the brand story that we have uh, and really getting clear on what are those guardrails. And so that, you know, when we're going down and we're doing our recipe development and, and we're selecting which ingredients we want to put in, you know, what, you know, keeping an eye on how that affects the final bottom line throughout the, the continued process. And, you know, then a second piece that we're always looking at is, you know, we're really connected with our procurement counterparts uh, and making sure that, you know, we're talking to all the suppliers that we possibly can uh, throughout the globe uh, to make sure that we're, one, getting the highest quality uh, ingredients that we possibly can, because that's going to allow us to make, you know, consistent quality product over and over again. Uh, but then also we're getting the best price for it uh, as we continue to build. And, you know, when it then comes down to the bench top and you're, you know, you're in the kitchen, you're in the lab and you're kind of whipping up your recipes you know, there's a bit of a North Star development that that we like to uh, approach that we like to take. And, and what does that mean is, you know, let's go make the best product that we possibly can. 
not thinking about what the price is, not thinking about, uh, you know, what's going to ultimately be the end use, because we want to make sure that we're delivering to the consumer. And then once you've got that product, then you can start to say, all right, from a food technology sort of standpoint, uh, is there ways that we can do this um, at, a, at a more effective cost? Is there another ingredient that we can sub in? And that's where the science of the food science really comes in. Uh, you know, we can all make great products that might be the most expensive thing on the world, but, you know, translating that to something that we can, again, do at scale and we can continue to do in a consistent manner. Um, you know, that's the big key of, of being a big, successful brand. If we look at it from, from let's say, our perspective as, you know, uh, consultants and those that are trying to crack this, this problem from outside and from our own experience, I think it's about balancing, well, first of all, having this connection with the consumer, with what he wants, what is he feeling, you know, to really understand what is the journey that is bringing him to, to consume maybe coffee or something else, for instance. Uh, but we, we cannot forget that together with this connection and this understanding of the consumer or the end user, there are other variables that need to be taken into account so that we remain practical. So those are, well, first of all, what is the value to the business that we are talking about? So uh, how does this translate into something for the business in terms of growth or in terms of, you know, market share or, you know, uh, uh, first moving advantage or differentiation, and you can go on forever on those things. And finally, the third aspect, which is uh, uh, the technical viability of, of whatever it is that, that we are talking about. So I think that relates a little bit with what Luke was saying when he said that, that he's always talking to his, you know, his suppliers to, to really try to see what is doable, what, is, uh, what can you do within this aspect of, okay, this is what my consumer wants, this is what is good for my business, now, can I do it technically? So I think that the balance between those and the intersection of these three, and now I think there's even a fourth one, which is uh, something we're talking about first, which is the sustainability aspect. So when you mix those four things, there's like a sweet spot there in the middle. That's, that's I think, where the big innovations are coming or the, the more simple, thus more sometimes more difficult things are coming out. So I think it's a little bit of that. So, Luke, um, you, I think you kind of talked about this a little bit in your introduction, but something I'm, I'm very keen to hear you talk about and I think our audience will enjoy as well is kind of thinking about the competition and these, these smaller companies that are emerging and how they can kind of have that niche or they can focus on something from a very strategic uh, perspective. How can you ensure that you're competing with them how do you deal with these kind of smaller companies which are coming in and really focusing on, say, an individual aspect of, of coffee making? Oh, yeah. The coffee space is exploding, uh, you know, over the last five, you know, even going back 10 years, you know, specialty coffee with the rise of, uh, you know, the coffee shop on the corner that's doing different roasts and uh, different origins. Uh, there's a lot of uh, innovation in that space. And so a lot of uh, small competitors definitely nipping at the heels. And, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of deep data, you know, a lot of consumer insights that we're using to develop our innovation strategy. And 
you know, competitive pressures and, and looking at the little guys is also, it's a key piece of, um, you know, inspiration building is what our team likes to do. Uh, so we're always, you know, at least once a week in the, in the kitchen, you know, we're bringing in any products that we're kind of seeing, no matter how small, you know, we're going to the, the natural, we're going to the local grocers and we're picking up products. And, and really what we're doing again is, like I said, we're trying to build some inspiration from them, not necessarily totally change our innovation strategy or pivot. Uh, Cause you know, that's just going to cause spinning wheels, lost resources, those sorts of things. But, you know, really what we're looking for is, you know, what kind of ingredients are they trying to hero? Uh, you know, what's kind of storytelling are they coming from? Is there a nugget of insight that maybe it's something that we've missed or uh, is it a part of our larger innovation strategy that we might need to, you know, add on or, or kind of twist just a little bit? Uh, you know, we've seen some competitive products that have come out that, you know, we get it in and we look at it and we say, I think there's something here. They didn't necessarily execute on it as well as we probably think that we could. Um, and maybe there's a bit of a twist that we think that they missed on that. So we can say it's a yes and sort of thing and, and continue to build on that uh, and then make even a better product and, and a better concept overall. Uh, so really, we're using those little guys uh, as inspiration as we continue to build out a, a more robust uh, innovation pipeline as we're looking down 2023, 2024. You know, we got to keep uh, our eyes, you know, multiple years ahead to make sure that we kind of stay, stay as the number one player. Did, can you reflect on maybe, and obviously I don't want you to go into too much detail on this, but can you reflect on maybe some mistakes that you've seen happen with regards to reacting too viciously or too violently to this kind of competition within the market? Yeah, I think, you know, especially as you kind of look at how supply chain issues have arose, uh, you know, due to the COVID pandemic and all those sorts of things, there was a moment in time where it was, hey, you know, in the coffee creaming sort of space, you know, new flavors, uh, you know, new innovations, like let's keep you know, putting things out there so we can bring new news to the category. Um, but what we kind of got into was you're making your manufacturing network so complex uh, that the smallest shock, well, which COVID was not a small shock, but, you know, shocks, all of a sudden, um, you know, maybe you're having out of stocks or you're having issues meeting uh, your orders because your manufacturing network has become too complex sort of a thing. And so sometimes you need to really strip it down and say, what are really the key things? What are the big innovations that we want to go after? So you can't chase every small competitor that comes out and says, hey, we launched a, a keto creamer. Mm -hmm. And while I do like keto creamers, and I think that mm -hmm. it is an interesting space, you know, is that where we're going to get the most bang for our buck? Uh, and are we going to be able to scale that to, you know, the masses? You know, we need to sit down and say, where can we make our big bets? And let's focus our, our resources on that and make sure that we can, you know, again, make it uh, and make it every time and make it uh, high quality every time too. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You can't be following every single trend when it comes out. Hey, Fabrizio, what, what do you make of this? Anything that you've seen work? Well, first of all, I, I'm curious. I want to ask Luke a question. When you were you were mentioning that you're bringing various, you know, products to the kitchen so that you guys are trying it out. Are we are we saying just, uh, you know, within the coffee space or is this search that you guys are doing wider than just the coffee space? Because there are elements of these other things that you can see within the within within this realm of opportunities within the kitchen that can bring you also insights to what you guys are doing so i was very curious to understand if you're just looking at 
one specific space or this search and this curiosity that you guys are talking about is something wider? That, that's a great question. And it's, it's, yeah, we're, you're going to look at like coffee space for sure. I mean, that's where you kind of start, but we do always want to look cross category um, and outside of the category to see, you know, the beauty space, I think is a really nice example of, of that, of, you know, to pull storytelling themes, uh, you know, how are they connecting with their consumer? You know, what kind of uh, packaging, what kind of graphics, what kind of uh, language are they using on their packs? And is that, you know, something that we can kind of pull and, and use for some of our products? So yeah, it's not just coffee space. Obviously we've got our eye on any new thing that comes out in coffee, uh, but we're definitely looking outside of the coffee category to it's inspiration building. Uh, it's not just within the coffee space. It's, you know, what kind of uh, storytelling techniques are they using or maybe even ingredients that they're using uh, that can help provide just a little bit of an aha and something that we can say, hey, our brands can utilize this or our products can use this uh, that we really do go cross category for. Thank you for 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 giving giving us this inside look. I think that uh what's what's interesting when you're saying you're talking about storytelling is that this is also a way to connect to the consumer because this is how we react to a brand or to whatever is offered to us so i think that trying to understand the other storytelling that are out there and how they are built and how can we learn from them is very interesting and just to finish around what you were asking paul i think that it's really interesting to see how this 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 uh, uh, sort of dynamic opposition let's say for lack of a better word between you know large brands and challenger brands if we can call them that is very very profitable for for very interesting for the consumer but also for the big brands there because somehow they're pushed into new situations and uh, you know it's an extra stimuli for for them to to innovate and to really try to connect to the consumer and i think that's really great Okay, so let's switch things over a little bit to the experience side of things. And although you've spoken about different uh, focuses in industry, let's really focus on the coffee industry now. I'm quite excited to actually ask this question. Um, we all know that drinking coffee is more than just a, an experience and more than just caffeine. It really is an experience for many enthusiasts. And I don't mind sharing myself. I'm one of those enthusiasts. How do you make sure that that experience is on point for your products? How do you make sure that that whole coffee experience really works for your customers. I'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say about this, Luke. Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on that coffee is such a unique uh, experience and it's a, just not how it tastes. It's, you know, your ritual in the morning, uh, you know, why are you drinking it? It's a full 360 uh, that we need to try to capture and, and gain some insights from. And so, you know, we're, we're going on site. One of my favorite things is to go inside a consumer's home and, you know, we do some some on-site interviews and really just started out by saying, all right, make a cup of coffee and kind of walk us through what you're doing. And uh, each experience is is different from from the last. And so that raises a, a lot of challenges because, you know, when you're you're in a consumer package good industry, you know, you're trying to make uh, really consistent product over time. And and so how do you say coffee creamer? How do you make sure that it's going to be the same for one person? Uh, when there's someone else is using it in a totally different way. And, and that's kind of the one of the bigger challenges we have when we're in the labs is, you know, when you're doing, say, the scientific method, you're trying to have as many controls as possible and you change one variable and you see, you know, what that one variable kind of changes. In coffee, you know, it's really hard. You've got uh, what kind of beans are they using? 
Um, you know, what brew methods are they using? You know, what temperature are they typically drinking their coffee at? These are all things that affect the flavor of coffee. Uh, you know, what's the grind size? What type of water do they have? I mean, these are things that there's so many variables and you can't necessarily control with it. And so, you know, when we're in the development process, there's a few things that we have to say, hey, these are our baselines. Um, and we have to, when we're, say, evaluating new flavors or we're evaluating how our, um, you know, our whiteners you know, whiten the coffee, you know, we have to, we do make some, draw some lines in the sand and say, all right, this is how we're going to evaluate everything. So when we change, say, X variable, we're able to see how that adjusts. Then once you kind of start to narrow in on, okay, we think we're getting to a really good product here. What then you need to do is, all right, let's start introducing some of these variables. Let's see what it looks like if we're using a French press versus if we're just using your typical Mr. Coffee drip machine. Uh, let's see what happens as the temperature goes from say 160, which is really, really hot coffee, which some people drink, uh, down to say 120 or 100, which is kind of cold at that point. And how does that experience change? And let's make sure that we're not losing anything, uh, you know, from the full product experience. It's, it's really, really complicated, but that's the really fun part uh, when you're in the lab and, and you can do a lot of different variables and see how, uh, you know, your coffee product turns out. It's almost like a religious experience for some people, coffee drinking. I, I can imagine that you have to be very careful not to kind of lose your audience by, by trying something that they re regard as almost sacrilegious. It's a really good call out there of uh, most people's like initial cup of coffee is like a ritual. And if you screw up that coffee, you've screwed up their whole day at that point. And so, you know, we, we chuckle about it somewhat in the labs of like, hey, we don't want to ruin people's day here. So let's make sure that we're going to do this right. Uh, now, we're not doing life or death sort of things, you know, but uh, you don't want to screw up someone's day. Um, Fabricio, uh, thinking more along the sort of company culture line and how best to get people to buy in and you know we, we talked about this this uh, culture that we have with coffee but how do we make sure that the, the customer experience is, is always there like are there any tricks to the trade to achieving this is there any kind of magical formula to making sure that the customer experience is always there or is that just really not realistic well I, I don't know I don't, I don't think there's any magic formula there it's just you know it's just work it's getting to know who you're designing for <laughs> Especially when we're talking about experience, and Luke has mentioned this, is the fact that well, you 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 design for when you design for the consumer experience, you have to understand who you are designing for, and then you try to craft elements that so that each person can build its own experience around that. And I think that's the challenge. So there's no magic aspect to that. And and so there's the fact that there's not only experience but a multitude of personal experience. That your product can trigger or be a part of they can be the center of it they can be you know an accessory to to, to this experience so once again is uh, the key element is really try to understand your customer try to and luke has mentioned this also build consistency in what you're doing so that you as a consumer have some uh, you know some bearings that you can relate to when you're using that product that's very important and, and I was also, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Luke about this. When we, maybe he can tell us a bit, little bit more on when we are talking about coffee experience, uh, uh, what are the, you know, the, the musts that you must include when you're talking about, you know, 
building this experience for your coffee drinkers? What are some elements that cannot be left out of this? So that's my first question. And the second question is that, uh, is are you guys trying to uh, move in into the other aspects of this experience? Because you're, build, you're doing the coffee cream, but maybe there are other things that you guys can sort of use to help build the brand or, you know, uh, maybe some, some resources online, some, uh, you know, tasting that you guys are doing. I find this experience area very fascinating and very difficult to, to sort of master. So that's why I wanted to have his look on that. Yeah, that's a good insight that there's a few key things that you don't want to screw up when you're uh, doing with someone's coffee. But really, and, and that's kind of the key when you think about it is, um, you know, when someone's making a cup of coffee, there's, you know, the aroma aspect of it. You know, it's really kind of like, waking somebody up. So that's always a key piece that we're, that we're trying to keep in mind is, you know, they've got their coffee beans and there's some sort of aroma when it's brewing. And so it's really bringing this sort of thing. Well, when now you've got say a flavored coffee creamer, a French vanilla creamer, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting a nice sweet vanilla aroma. Uh, so when you're designing a product, you know, you want to make sure that that kind of pops, you don't want to leave that out. And then you know, people when they're creaming their coffee, they're usually going to some sort of whiteness or some sort of level that they say like, yeah, this is my cup of coffee here. It's this color. I think maybe you've seen on Instagram or something, there's like a funny grid and it's like black coffee is in one corner and then it's like the whitest coffee you've ever seen. It's probably just coffee creamer on the other, you know, and it's like, hey, which one are you? I think people are like, yeah, I'm a B5, you know? So it's like when they're creaming their coffee, you want to make sure that you're not doing anything funky with the product that's going to screw up that whitening experience. And so those are a couple of key things. There's, you know, multiple, multiple other things that we want to make sure we're not screwing up the flavor. Uh, you know, are you not creating any bitterness and those sorts of things, but you know, there's a couple key points around say aroma and whitening and flavor that you got to make sure are on point. Uh, cause that's what the consumer is really looking for when they're uh, going after that morning cup of coffee. When you're talking about that scale, I, I guess at some point it's not even coffee anymore if you're, if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, I think the Beastie Boys said, I, you know, I like my uh, sugar with coffee and cream or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nice reference. When I've looked at your CV, it, it looks like you've been doing a lot of work with uh, plant-based ingredients. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience with that and maybe how that's come into your current role? Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, I, I did most of my bench level, uh, you know, product development experience was all around uh, the silk brand. Uh, so like I had mentioned before, uh, you know, soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk, uh, you know, all the big, any, any sort of milk you could think of alternative. Uh, and really now as I go into, you know, the coffee space, you know, we're looking at ready to drink coffees, but we also do the coffee creamers and a big growing segment that we've uh, really capitalized on over the last couple of years is again in that macro trend of, of plant-based and more people going into flexitarian sort of lifestyle. And so, you know, the Silk brand has launched, uh, you know, an almond creamer, uh, a coconut creamer, and now even oat creamers are kind of the newest kid on the block. And so I've been able to, you know, leverage the experience again of really you're thinking of consumer centric design again, at the end of the day, what is that consumer, you know, your target consumer looking for? And so what kind of ingredients from a, a plant-based perspective can we select for that? You know, a good example is we uh, launched a, about a year and a half ago, uh, a silk half and half uh, alternative. 
Uh, so it's supposed to just act like your dairy half and half, um, Land O'Lakes half and half that you would say use today. Uh, but when you were looking at that experience, you're saying, okay, people are looking at half and half for uh, whitening and uh, to build body within their coffee and then to reduce some of the bitterness. So when you're looking at a plant-based uh, product, all right, what ingredients can we select that are going to go after that? And so, you know, we settled on, hey, let's do an oat blend with a coconut blend. And so you've got these, you know, oat that provides some body, you know, some thickness. Uh, it's also got a very neutral taste uh, so that, you know, you're not overpowering or covering up the coffee flavor that, uh, you know, half and half consumers looking for. Uh, but then now you're layering in some coconut, uh, which gives you some really nice whiteness. It gives you really nice fatty mouthfeel. Uh, that can help provide even more body and mouthfeel in your uh, a cup of coffee. And, and so really designing both of those things together to get to, again, you know, what is that consumer looking for at the end of the day? And, and I think we kind of nailed it on that one. I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, as you're saying that, you must have had an experience along the line where you've tried something that's been absolutely awful. <laughs> 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 that's, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a really good point of one of the benefits of being a, a, a food scientist and being in the product development industry is you can eat anything that you make for the most part. Uh, now, if you say you're fermenting yogurt and you do too much fermentation, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, now you've got the most sour yogurt on the planet. Yeah, I mean... There's definitely a little bit of element of guess and check in there. And, and sometimes you make something that's uh, totally not there. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of you can take one sip of it and say, yep, this wasn't it. Back to the drawing board. Fabricio, the consumer is demanding that businesses do things more ethically and, and, and in the right way. And that kind of leads into what we're talking about with using products the right way, treating the environment the way, right way. How do we as consumers and companies ensure that we're doing things correctly? Wow, that, that, that's a that's a good good and tough question to answer. Well, uh, you know, we we are seeing a lot of talk about you know ESG or corporate sustainability and other evidences that there is a major shift in corporate activity and that that's already in motion, right? And we've talked about that here today because this is a consumer push thing that we are being driven to towards to. So. I think we are going through a huge transition, as I said before, where let's say old ways of doing things are dying and the new ones are still an, an uncertainty. So that's the big challenge because we're just in between them. And this is where these the big players and the smaller players, whether you're a big brand or a challenger brand or whatever, you have to operate today. So, uh, uh, and again, this is the result of, of the drivers that we were talking about. So I, I think to... to, to keep it simple uh it's about being really transparent but not only by saying it but by the actions that you guys are had that, that someone is having and open to change because it's there and it's in inevitable and, and willing to drive a purpose for your stakeholders for your customer and i think more broadly you know have a positive impact on society on the planet and you know whatever and and so I'm not sure what the right way is, but there are first steps in that direction that companies should already be taking. Because if they're not already taking this, well, eventually, if they don't do it, they will fall behind. And I think that most uh, you know, big players have done it. And I know that, for instance, the known uh, uh, here in France uh, has pledged to be a, what they call an entreprise à mission, which is 
someone that uh, uh, put that into its own, more than just a vision, it's within his social contract of the business. So to say that we are here to do good, um, you guys are B Corp. So I know that the US it was, was, I think it was the first part of the loan that went as a B corporation. So these are the steps that you have to take to show the world that you are willing to, to walk on, into that direction. And more importantly, that you're willing to uh, walk the talk, you know, as they say. So I think that those are the things that we should start doing. The rest, it's going to come next. Did you want to follow up on that, Luke? Yeah, I think he touched on a really good thing of, of big, big players and small players. I think one of the really nice things of, say, Danone, you know, we're a, a multinational uh, corporation. So we operate in, in many different countries across the globe, many different geographies. What that provides is a really, really large scope. So uh, to Fabricio's point of we in North America were B, B Corp certified and, and we were the largest company that was able to achieve that. I, I think we've we've lost that at some point. But you know, we've pushed other companies than other even larger companies to say, like, yes, this is something that we should even continue to go after. And so we can actually affect a really large change. And, you know, if we start pushing and saying uh, non-GMO, uh, for example, we want more non-GMO ingredients, you know, 10 years ago, ingredient suppliers are saying that's just not something that we do. Uh, but then as a, a big player like us says, hey, this is something that we're going to say, again, we're putting a stake in the ground and, uh, you know, all of our silk products are going to be non-GMO project verified. Then now all ingredient suppliers are starting to look at their supply chains and they're starting to clean up their supply chains. And so, you know, as a small player, you can you can start doing some of these things and you can have a really good story to tell. But you sometimes need these big players to really move the market uh, if you want to start to you know affect change. Perfect. I guess uh, the last question for today, and, and maybe we'll leave it after this one, is, is to kind of reflect on what you need to do at Danone to make sure going forward you stay in the position that you have and you continue to be a, a player within the coffee industry. What are those kind of like key details that you have to focus on? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I want me and, and what I really, you know, push down to the team is, you know, let's keep the inspiration alive. And so, you know, we had talked about earlier in the conversation, you know, getting in products from market, doing uh, sessions in the lab. You know, those are one of the key pieces, I think, that keeps our innovation machine kind of humming is, hey, let's keep feeding it new inspiration activities. So let's continue to do those team tastings. You know, let's go do coffee crawls. One of the, the fun things of, of being in the coffee space is, hey, we can go out to coffee shops. And this is part of our work, you know, you're, you're going to go hang out, you're going to go see what's on the new menus, you're going to go taste what, uh, you know, is kind of at the forefront there. And, and so let's keep doing those activities, even in this sort of uh, hybrid and, and remote sort of environment, how can we continue to build and create space uh, so that the team can can have time to think or, or the inspiration to kind of think of what's going to be next in the, in the future of food. Thank you. Fabrizio, anything you'd like to add before we close up? No, I, I think we are pretty much rounded it. I, 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 I want to thank Luke for, for the, the, the opportunity. Uh, I mean, this, this talk about around coffee is fascinating. I might even give coffee a second chance. I don't know. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. It was a great conversation. And uh, Fabrizio, if you're going to start with coffee, just uh, get a nice Chemex, grind it medium, okay. two minutes, and you'll be good. So there you have it. A big thank you to our panel, to Luke and Fabrizio. I think you will agree, viewer. They have both left us with plenty to ponder on. 
But if you're looking for a little bit more on some of the new exciting trends and experiences coming our way in 2022, why not grab yourself a copy of our 2022 Innovation Trends Report? It has a little something for everyone, touching on UX, ESG, and especially what the future might hold for businesses. And you can find a link for that very report in the description of this podcast on all your favorite suppliers. As mentioned, we're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. So that just about does it for now. So join us next time for more exciting guests on more exciting topics. This is Paul C. Thwachi signing off for Tech Innovation Talks, powered by MJV. Take care and keep innovating.